It's good to see you all and uh, excited uh, this week to be finishing up our Origins series. Hopefully you've been blessed by that this uh, fall uh, season. We've been working through Genesis chapters 1 and now uh, wrapping up in chapter 12 and uh, before we transition to a, a short Christmas series. Uh, but I titled this, this message, you can see it here on the screen, I titled this, World's Most Interesting Man. I don't know if you uh, have, are familiar with these commercials. The commercial kind of uh, trend has been actually going on. I looked it up this week for 13 years. That's a pretty long campaign. I was reading a little bit about this guy uh, that is actually in these images. And so often uh, his, his uh, uh, image is portrayed as successful. He was actually a failed actor uh, that actually, this was his uh, transition and got this shot in advertising and it's done really well. well the reason why I would suggest is, we're very intrigued with this idea of someone being an interesting, memorable, noted person. And in this description, that title, World's Most Interesting Man, and when you look across the landscape of history, when you look across the, the journals of, of interesting people, you got to bring up Abraham. You got to bring up Abraham. Abraham's one of those people that's been talked about for now thousands of years, thousands of years. Genesis 11, when we ended our last section of scripture, we were introduced at the very end as walking through the family line of Noah through Shem, and it was introduced at the very end of the chapter to this man by the name of Abram. His name would later be changed by God to Abraham, but he was introduced for the first time there. And he was then from there on is mentioned 311 times in scripture, 311 times. I'd feel pretty good about myself if I got like one or two verses, you know, mentioned in there, 311 times mentioned in the Bible, 74 of those times were mentioned in the New Testament. I found that interesting. Uh, that's a, and remember, that's about 2,100 years later, uh, so still being talked about 74 times. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith, he's talked about in 12 different verses. Moses only gets five verses, but Abraham gets 12. And so when you're piling all this up, you're like, wow, he is fairly noteworthy. Even Jesus Christ spoke of him seven different times in his ministry. 60%, here's a statistic if you like statistics, 60% of current world religions point to Abraham as the father of their faith tradition. 60% of world, uh, that obviously includes Christianity, Protestant, Catholic, but also includes Muslim, and the entire Arab world would point to him. And so what is it, the question is, what is it about Abraham that made him so compelling, so interesting? The thing that I found when I was starting this study this week, I'm like, really, there's not a whole lot. It's really, when you look at his life, it's kind of like, wait a second, he's not, nothing really noteworthy or special about him. He's from this city called Ur of the Chaldeans. It was a populous city. If you're looking for locations, it's about 200 miles south of current Baghdad. If you're looking for locations on the planet, history and archaeology have pointed that that region was especially known for their pagan idol worship. So most likely being brought up in that environment, most likely his father by the name of Terah was most likely a, a pagan, uh, worship pagan gods himself. 
In the account of Abraham prior to God uh, reaching out to him, there's nothing that's mentioned like it does of other characters of being like, you know how some of the others would say, yes, they walked with God. Noah walked with God. Nothing like that is said about Abram. His name itself actually means exalted father, which was in, when you read the first account of his life, it was kind of ironic because he had a wife by the name of Sarah and what was she known for having? No kids. So being having the title or name exalted father, I imagine that was a little bit ironic when people are like, wait a second, but you have zero kids. So all of these things pointing to the fact that really God chose to pick somebody that really had no earthly things to celebrate, nothing that was noteworthy or unique. I would suggest in our section there, and you can see why the title has the question mark on it, the only thing that makes him interesting is the God that he chooses to follow. Let me pray as we dive in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be together and how sweet it's been just looking at this series of the origin. It connects so many dots as to how we got here, what the purpose of why we're here, who the source of life is. God, we ask that you'd speak to us now as we look at these promises that are attached to this man by the name of Abram. God, that we would look for in this talk things that you want to convict us of, that you want to nudge us in, that you want to encourage us in, that this wouldn't be for the person down the road, that we would choose to engage ourselves. We invite that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 12, we're going to be introduced to the world's most interesting man. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'm going to stop there just for a moment because this is the very first time that we have any degree of interaction between him and God. And you see there's not a lot of small talk there. There's not a lot of introduction by God. God, just the very first thing he says for him to do is what? Go, go. That's an that's a, a interesting starting point, especially when you consider what stage of life that Abram was at. Anybody have a guess as to how old Abram was when this happened? Anybody have a Bible scholars in here? 75 years old. That's not typically the point in life that you pack up and go and go on this new adventure. That's usually when you're checking your, your uh, social security eligibility, you know what I mean, and your retirement accounts, and you're uh, thinking about charitable giving. Like the, that's, the, that's the, the, the season of life that you're not necessarily saying, okay, let's go on a new faith adventure, but that's when God intervenes in his story, when God chooses to reach out to Abram and charges him to say exactly that, go. Leave everything you've known. Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. What's interesting is that he doesn't just tell him to go. He tells him to go somewhere that he's not going to disclose yet. I don't know if any of you grew up to go into different camps or whatever. One of the exercises they always did at camps that drove me crazy, they had that exercise where you'd put the blindfold on and then you'd have somebody talking and directing you to go when you couldn't see where you're going. Anybody do that with uh, bruised shins and sprained ankles? And you're just like, this is the worst. But this is what our God so often when somebody says, well, what does it look like to follow Jesus? That's kind of it. It's kind of it. He's saying, it's a trust exercise. He's saying, I'm calling you to leave what you've known prior to this and to follow me. 
to trust me. That's kind of the, the first step in following Jesus. And so often what many of us have to do is there, there's some stuff we have to leave behind, right? There's some things that you can't keep getting tangled in or entangled. And you have to say, all right, I have to put that behind and I need to step out in faith and see where the Lord is going to take me. Thankfully, Abram chose to respond to that. But uh, take a look in verse two and see that so a little bit about this response. It says, and I will make you, oh, this is the promise. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Couple of verses there, kind of a noteworthy verses in scripture. These are promises that were given to Abram, but actually fulfilled in scripture all the way to the end of the book. From this point all the way forward, God chooses to fulfill these promises made to Abraham. They're introduced here, they're highlighted in chapter 15, they're reaffirmed in chapter 17, they're renewed with Isaac in chapter 26, and then again with Jacob in chapter 28. It goes on and on, these promises of blessing. What I wanted to point out, though, look down at the text there, what's a repeat two words that you see in that description? What are two words that you keep seeing? Bless, for sure, and then what's, what's, the, what's the other one? I, well, no, that's only said once. Uh, I, five different times, it says these words, I will, I will. Here's the important thing to understand when you're trying to think about this world's most interesting man. Who is the source of him being the world's most interesting man? God's saying, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to do these things. It has nothing to do with you. We're so desperate as a culture to make man into a hero. We love this idea of celebrating man and elevating people to unhealthy places. And our God's like, no, I'm the one that decides this. I'm the one that chooses to elevate. Look at the different things that he promises. And you tell me if it had anything to do with Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. In order to be a great nation, what has to happen? There needs to be children involved in order for that to be expanded, for his, his family to be expanded into a nation. He's 75 years old. Does it have anything to do with Abram at this point? No, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, he says. There's no signs of current blessing, financial or otherwise. He's saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take the life that you know now, and it's going to be blown out of the water. I'm going to, I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you prestige. I'm going to give you blessing in every arena of your life. Has nothing to do with Abram, only with our God. I did like one little thing you noticed that in the text there. It says, you're... Um, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Here's the important thing to understand about blessing, even as Bill pointed out. When you're blessed, God's intent is that so that you will be a blessing for others. That's kind of the, the rule and the nature of it. I saw this meme this week. It was kind of sad. It says, I met a woman crying outside the mall yesterday and I asked her what's wrong. She said she lost $200. So I gave her $40 from the $200 I picked up at the entrance. 
When God blesses you, you must bless others. That's missing the point here. That's missing the point. It's not, it's not supposed to be out of the, the, the excess. It's supposed to be like, hey, it's supposed to be sacrificial. If you've received blessing for us to then extend it to others, it's one of the things that God invites us to, but he says he's going to be the source of blessing. Anyone that thinks that you're the source, you're confused. It says this, I will make your name great. I will make your name great. It's interesting to me in that, if you remember our last study together, we studied the the Tower of Babel. And what were they trying to do in the Tower of Babel? What were they trying to elevate? They were trying to make their name great. It's kind of interesting because there in the prior chapter, it was rebuked. It was confronted by God. Here's the difference though. When God is the source of elevating, It's a good thing. God has no problem with elevating and honoring man, but when he's the source of it, when we're trying to celebrate self, all of a sudden it doesn't feel right. It's it's like, wait a second, you're you're missing the source. You're you're not acknowledging where that's coming from. Particular basketball star, I remember hearing uh, doing an interview and he made a comment and he said, they asked if he was disappointed about a lost game. Maybe you guys can guess which player this is. And he asked him how he felt about losing the game. He's like, I don't feel too bad about it because I'm the greatest player in the world. I'm like, ugh, doesn't, doesn't feel good when somebody celebrates themselves, right? It feels better when God's the source, when you point to him as the, the outcome. So here's these different things, all these, I will, I will, I will. It's one that I I like as well. It says, and him who, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Like that, I, I, when I was first reading, I was like, that's, that almost sounds like a mafia statement. You know, you'll, you'll, I'll bless you if you bless me. You get cursed, you get cursed. You know what I mean? Like I got this picture that that's our God. He's like, you mess with me, you mess with. And that, that's really him saying, you know what? It, when people bless you, they're gonna be a source of blessing. And when, when, when they oppose you, we're gonna see a little bit later, even in this chapter, it's not going to go well for them. Anybody being been on the receiving end of blessing because of somebody you knew? I had this uh, opportunity a couple years ago. My brother-in-law, Adrian's sister's husband, uh, lives in Vancouver. And I went and got, a, got to do a tour. He owns a, a fairly successful production company up in Vancouver. And I got to go do a tour of his business. I was walking around and meeting everybody from the, the company and all these different employees. Everybody was so nice to me. Like they were like going out of their way to make me feel welcome. And in the middle of it, I'm like feeling pretty good about myself. And then as I reflected, I'm like, wait a second. They were only being nice to me because of who? My brother-in-law, I was a bald nobody. Like the, uh, the, the whole thing is the reminder, the reminder of our God is he's like, man, he's the ultimate connection. And guess whose family tree we're grafted into when we embrace Jesus Christ? This same exact family. He says, I'm gonna, whoever bless you, I'm gonna bless. Whoever oppose you, that, that's not gonna go well for them. All of this pointing to the thing you hear me often repeat in church, there's only one hero in this story. There's moments where you're like, you know, they did something right. They got, they got it right for a moment. But in the overall picture, there's only one hero. In fact, with Abraham, there's kind of a mixed bag with the obedience. Take a look in ch- chapter or verse four says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with them. Abram was 75 years old 
when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord, called upon the name of the Lord, and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. We'll stop there just to see a little bit. There's a little, I titled this section with a mixed bag of obedience. You see, the first thing was kind of a, a positive sign. It says that he's called to go, and he packs up everything, 75 years old, doesn't matter how old you are for God's calling in your life, and he's like, I'm, I'm going, I'm following, I'm obeying. The thing that I wanted to point out, and you're gonna start to see some of these things throughout the uh, remainder of the story, kind of a mixed bag, because yes, he obeyed, but it says this, and Lot went with him. Do you guys remember anything about bringing along your crazy nephew Lot? Was there anything mentioned? Or was it go from here, leave your people and your father's uh, household? That was the direct command. But instead, he chooses to say, all right, we're going to bring Lot along on this adventure. Lot goes on, as if you study the remainder of the story, to be a thorn in his side, the remainder of his, of his life, because it was kind of a partial deal. So often, that's us. We obey to some degree, but we bring our version of obedience in it. Here is a, a picture of moments of faith mixed with partial obedience. Growing up, uh, my dad has always been very into sports, and so any kind of activity or whatever, uh, and he wasn't one of those dads growing up that, like, lets their kids win. Any of you that parent that, like, yeah, we'll just let them win to make them feel, he would just destroy us. Like, yeah, like even at, like, age 10 or 12, like, he would just be, like, uh, like playing ping pong or whatever. He'd just wreck us all or whatever, and he, he still, he's 75. It's kind of ironic with this story, uh, and he still beats me at a lot of stuff, but when I do beat him, it feels really good. Um, but anyway, point being, so uh, a lot of times when he's playing, now he's playing this sport called pickleball. It's like an old person's game kind of. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, no offense if anybody plays that. Uh, but he even plays pickleball. And I'll ask him like, hey, how did that, how did that go? How did, how did pickleball go? And this is always his statement. It cracks me up. He always says, flashes of brilliance. And I was like, I was like, huh, flashes of brilliance. In, in, other, in other words, lots of bad, but every once in a while, there's a little something good. I think that's the picture. That's the picture of Abram here. Abram here. Flashes of brilliance. And isn't that the story of us? Isn't that the story of us? Where there's pieces where you're like, oh man, we nailed it there. But what about this, 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 and this? That's what's so awesome about God being the hero of this story. We only have flashes of brilliance. See, in that story, there's actually little glimpses of things that are very encouraging. Where does it say that he, that he went? It says that he went to a very specific spot, to the great tree of Morah at Shechem. This is actually, when you look throughout Scripture, this spot is mentioned uh, throughout the Old Testament with Jacob, with Moses, with Gideon, and more. Eleven different times this crazy tree is highlighted, and that tree was a place of worship. 
In that day and age, they didn't have temples or huge things like we would presently have. But in that time, they had this was a spot where people went with a, 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 as a destination, if you will, for worship. And you see here, that's where he headed. He headed past what he assumed was the promised land to make sure first he worshiped God. There wouldn't be any worship of the one true living God there, but he's like, you know what? The first thing before any of this adventure we're going on, I'm going to worship God. Flashes of brilliance. In response, I love notice there in the text, you might breeze past it. It says that when he is en route, it says that, that God appeared to him. It says uh, he, he appeared to him in that, that moment, in that moment of obedience. How cool, the more we follow God, the more he reveals himself to him. God clarifies to him that this land of Canaan would not be his land, but it would be the land of his offspring. If you think about uh, fast track uh, about 700 years later, when Moses is coming into this land that was called the promised land, that's the land that was first promised to Abram. Now, 700 years later, that's going to be, uh, God's going to honor that promise to Abram. He arrives in all these different places, and when he arrives at a new place, he takes time to worship and call on the Lord, some things worthy of celebrating, kind of a mixed bag of obedience. We'll see that continue in verse 10. It says, now, now there was famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he, was said to Sarah, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Sounds nice, right? A beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Instead, verse 13, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Remember the flashes of brilliance part? So, so first he starts strong. You know, complimenting your wife is obviously a good thing. So he's going to encourage that. He celebrates her. But he's saying, but we're going to come up with a little bit of a fib here. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna choose to stretch the truth a bit. We learn later in the book that she actually was his half-sister. Things are kind of weird back then. But in this, this particular situation, he calls her to lie for him. What's driving this? What's driving this? What does it tell us? It says that this was during a time of famine. And before we judge too harshly, how often during our times of famine do we try to help God out on his promises, Right? How often do we, when we're going through a difficult time of uncertainty, of, of, of questioning what's going on with our God, what's, what's happening with his promises, we're like, you know what, we can assist a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll bend things to make it all work out instead of the trust exercise that, that, that Abram's been on. God's saying, I'm making these promises. I will, I will, I will, I will. But instead, what do we see Abram say? No, I will. No, I will. I'll take care of this. I do find it interesting that at age 65, 
This is, that's how old Sarah was at this point. At age 65, she's still like a, a beauty queen candidate. Like she's like, like a, a beautiful woman. He's like, man, if we, go into, if we go into Egypt where they weren't supposed to go because it was known for all of their pagan idol worship, and when we go in there, they're gonna think you are beautiful and so we're gonna make up some lies. Here's the important thing. I just wanted to pause to say this. Important thing in this section, you see it titled there, descriptive, not prescriptive. Sometimes when you're reading scripture in the Old Testament, you read things and you're like, is that condoning that? Is that, is that saying that's okay? Is that saying like that, that's the, the way we're supposed to operate? Like, because it seems like some things worked out all right for him on the other side of this story. Here's the important thing to understand with the account of scripture is that it is descriptive. In other words, describing what happened not prescriptive, in other words, saying how you should operate. And it's so important when you're reading the rest of the Old Testament, because a lot of people get confused about this when they're studying God's word. They're like, oh, is that is he prescribing how I'm supposed to function? No, it's just describing what they did. And then our God gets the glory because he takes even our stupidest decisions and can actually do something positive. He's, he's constantly taking, oh man, that was a dumb choice. Let's move this, let's move this, because our God is faithful and he's the hero of the story. Take a look at the outcome of their scheming. When Abram entered Egypt, verse 14, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. So he was right. And when the princess, uh, princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. And, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife." All right, so this is kind of when I talked about mixed bags. This is kind of a mixed bag because at first thought, you might think, well, it kind of went all right for Abram. It, it turned out he got all these, these sheep and goats or whatever it was. You know, like it got all these animals which represented wealth there. Uh, he was given donkeys, male servants, female servants, oxen, all of this, camels, all this stuff. He was poured out to a degree of blessing. There must have been even a moment of like, hey, this worked out. My scheming did all right. Scheming went, did all right. Can you imagine though? You have all of this wealth, you have all of this stuff, and the person you care about the most has been taken to be the wife of the king. Can you imagine Abram laying in bed at night and you're just like, man, I don't really care about all this stuff. What I had to, what I had to sacrifice in order to get that, man, was so not worth it. It's a great charge for us men and maybe some of the, the, the things that we chase after to the neglect of things that actually matter, right? The compromises that we make in the pursuit of wealth or whatever it is and say, yeah, but the one thing I actually care about, this, this woman that I, as the, the wife of my youth is now in the, the, king's, the king's harem, if you will. So this is a great picture of something that maybe seemed like it was working out but instead, it, it actually turns out in a miserable situation. But remember the promise that our God had made. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And we see exactly that. 
Even with his dumb choice, God, because God was very concerned about this, God was, this, this was a key couple in God's thinking enough for him to intervene and get involved. It says that he put great plagues on Pharaoh's household. Thinking about that, even our choices to sin so often have a ripple effect. A lot of times we think like, it's just my sin, my issue, but this is rippling in all of Pharaoh's household because of this neglect of his wife. And I love that it says about our God, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah. So Abram was thinking about his own protection. God's thinking about Sarah's protection. It's a great reminder that our God doesn't just, and a lot of times you read the Old Testament, it's like, seems like it's all about the men. God's like, no, I care about women as well on this. So often though, we see that our choices end up not just damaging ourselves, but rippling around to those around us. I was reading this article this week about a Christian comedian. I don't know if maybe you've seen that in the headlines in Christian world the last couple of weeks that had made just some really poor decisions and the damage and the ripple effect of that hurting so many people around him. I'm like, oh, you got to think through not just yourself, but the outcome of your scheming. Verse 18, God often though redeems our stupid choices. So, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. We'll end with that as far as the text that we're looking at this, uh, this morning, but it's kind of interesting if you think about it. You're in a pretty sad place, pretty sad place, when a pagan monarch has to lecture you on your decisions. This is basically here, the Pharaoh saying, what are you doing? What kind of a messed up person are you to lie about the identity of your wife? It's kind of interesting to think like uh, Pharaoh with his probably hundreds of wives lecturing him like, what kind of a gross sick man are you? You know, like, he's like, wait a second. But here, here, either way, how, how do you think, how do you think, uh, how do you think Abram's feeling after that? Thinking about his walk from Egypt. Do you think he had some good, encouraging conversations with Sarah? Do you think Sarah was excited to be reunited with him? Or do you think there's maybe a little bit of tension there? Do you think there's a little bit of tension in that conversation? You sold me out to the Pharaoh. What are you doing? You messed up, moron. But here's the, here's the thing that I, I love about our God. God takes things that are like really dumb decisions. And he's still faithful to his promises. He's still faithful to his promises. He's still the, the good, patient, loving God. So often we give God, especially when people are talking about the Old Testament, man, he's this vengeful God. He was always angry. And I'm like, you know what? The more I study the Old Testament, the more I see like, no, actually we just do stupid stuff. He extends grace. And then ultimately there's consequence because there's some things that are beyond uh, turning the, the clock back here. God in his kindness is like, you know what? I'm gonna allow you to leave. Look at how he leaves marching out of that city. He leaves safely. His wife is safe and restored to him. Now, all of a sudden, God had promised to bless him. Now he's taking in, it's kind of cool. He takes all the blessing from a pagan nation and he's following other false gods. He's like, I'm gonna fill your barns with their stuff. 
I'm gonna bless you with that. I'm gonna take your decision and I'm gonna keep moving forward. I'm gonna give you more trust exercises along the way. Didn't do so great on this one, Abram, but there's more to come. Trust me, there's this thing with a future son that's gonna get really intense. All of these things are the reminder about our God's character, who our God that we're dealing with. Not an angry God with a club, but a patient God that keeps giving us opportunity after opportunity in these trust exercises of following him. Uh, yeah, you, you really blew it there. We're, we're gonna turn that into something good. We're gonna take even something that seemed broken, but I'm the, the true hero of the story. And so who's the world's most interesting man? Maybe you could argue man Abraham, if you take Jesus, obviously, out of the equation of that. Uh, but, but in this story, the only thing that makes Abram interesting is the flashes of brilliance when he's actually following our God. When you reflect on that ourselves, what makes us interesting? Only thing that makes us interesting are the flashes of brilliance when we're actually following our God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this section of scripture. We thank you for this study that we've gotten to have, the origins and you being the source, you being the one that it all comes from, you being the one of the good promises, you being the one of faithful care. How do we pray that this has maybe compelled us to see you maybe through some different lenses and for us in our pursuit of self-glory to recognize you're the only one that deserves glory. You're the only one that deserves honor. That's why going into this season, we wanna put the spotlight on you. We wanna honor you in the weeks to come, the celebration of your birth, the fulfillment of that promise. When you promise to bless the entire earth, that blessing comes with a name, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. In his name we pray, amen. Well, this is an exciting uh, week ahead. I wanna encourage you, if you haven't already picked up your Christmas cafe tickets, make sure you grab those going out and make sure you utilize this week to put the spotlight on Jesus Christ, even through this Christmas cafe. Like we really go out of our way to make that an event that's memorable, a, a great opportunity to invite some friends, neighbors, coworkers, whatever that may be. God bless you. If there's something we can pray about, we have volunteers up here at the front. God bless you.